and them. They're looking for hope. What about you? Redemption. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where some folks look for hope while others search for redemption in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 77, which begins with Max pointing at the wives sleeping in the back seat, and it ends with Furiosa scanning the horizon with her binocular type things. There goes from two eyes to one eye. I don't know what you call something like that. But anyway, back again with us today are Gary Roby and Victoria Cope from the Harry Potter Minute. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for having us back. So as we kick off today, Max has just heard Furiosa talking about how this is the best shot she'll ever have. And so Max turns around and he points to everybody in the backseat. All the wives are pretty much conked out. I think Nux is still somewhat awake as we're going to see him moving around later on in the minute here. But Max is like, well, what about all of these people? Like, I know you want to get to the green place, but I guess they want to get to the green place, too. Like, what's their deal is mm. what he's trying to get down to. Yeah. Are, 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 are they willingly along for the ride? Do they know what they're in for? Like, how do you know that there's going to be a place for them where they're where you're going? There's a lot of baggage here. Like, Max knows firsthand that you don't automatically fit into any one place that you find yourself in in the wasteland. So they have to have some sort of motivation that would get them to go through so much trouble. Yeah. And Furiosa explains that the thing that the wives are looking for is hope. The green place is very much the the promised land for them. It's it's somewhere of not wealth, but plenty mm-hmm. in a way. That's what I get from just the, the name alone, like the green place, the idea that people have settled and don't have to like scrounge for resources the way that they do at the Citadel. And continuing on, which I think it's been a while since we've talked about it, with the religious imagery. Yeah. The the idea of leaving a place of oppression and going to a place, a land of milk and honey, a promised land, is very common, especially in Christian tradition. And not just Christian tradition, but you could argue it's the bedrock of Jewish tradition. Absolutely, Going yes. out of Egypt, out of captivity specifically. Mm-hmm. following a leader like the wives are the tribes of israel furiosa is moses the war rig is the pillar of smoke i don't know i'm, I'm starting to paint myself <laughs> into a metaphorical corner here with the way that i try and draw these parallels but you get the idea that's a dangerous parallel to make because moses doesn't make it to the promised land yeah so if i were watching this for the first time and i were noticing that imagery I would be worried for Furiosa. It's easy to be. She's, you know, she's the reason that everyone else is here. Her decision to, to, to go back to the Green Place has wrapped all these other characters in her story. They seem to be operating quite a bit on her enthusiasm. Yeah. They don't know anything but that harem where everything on paper was great. And it's really easy to say they, they had food, they had clean water, they had education. 
but the reality of it is much darker. Yeah, the mm. price for all of that was too high. Was too high. Do you think that's the difference for Furiosa? Like, she came from somewhere else, but these other girls, like, this is all they've ever known, so they sort of have to, like, trust in her and rely on her to get them somewhere better? I think so. They know that what they have is not good. Hmm. But they don't know anything else. So if they weren't given any options, they would just live out their lives just like the women before them did. Yeah. And the women after them, they would just continue on. But they have somebody who is telling them, hey, it doesn't have to be like this. There are options. There is hope. Mm -hmm. Hope that you can live out your life as an individual and not an object to be used. Hope that... Yeah. Any life that you bring into this world won't immediately get taken from you and trained to be an instrument of violence. Hope that the practices and sort of people that destroyed the world in the first place, that you won't be contributing to their work to destroy the world again and again and again. Mm. I think that's the hope that the wives are looking for and the hope that Furiosa would like to give them. It's a very noble pursuit for her mm -hmm. to like not just leave on her own, but to bring the wives with her because she recognize. I like she, I think I believe she recognizes the the suffering that they're going through and and even leaving is a sacrifice for her. She had something here. She had she has the rig that she drives. She has respect of her peers, but this is more important. Reminds me of Wonder Woman, which I actually just saw recently for the first time. Mm where, and I, I'm terrible with names, so I'm just going to be, you know, that person who did that thing. So Wonder Woman grew up in this matriarchal society where everybody is equal, and everybody is powerful and strong. So she goes to 1910s London, where that is not the case. Women are not treated with equal respect unto yeah. men. They are not in positions of power. They're not treated anything like what she's used to. And the secretary... I have no idea what her name is, but they're talking about their different views on women in society and their different roles, and they do not understand each other. Wonder Woman, what is her name? What is Wonder Woman's name? Diana. Diana, thank you. Diana just cannot fathom why this woman, who seems like a perfectly capable, intelligent woman, is the servant to this man. Mm. Why do you have to do everything he tells you to? And... It's just this complete discombobulation between two different types of societies. Mm. So that's what Furiosa started to grow up in this female-centered society. And that's what she learned was normal. And then she goes to the Citadel and to Joe's cult, yeah. where that is entirely not the case. And she has never adjusted to it. She is never okay with it. She wants to go home. I want to touch on that idea. The statement that she's never been okay with it. Because after hearing that the wives are looking for hope, Max turns the question on Furiosa and he says, well, what about you? And Furiosa thinks about it for a moment. And after a while, she says, redemption. That's what she's hoping to get out of this. Mm. So the fact that she's looking for redemption tells me that she has done things that she's not proud of. Yeah. Maybe she did buy into this whole Joe's whole thing for a while. Gary and Victoria, your series 
features a character who got into a certain organization for a few reasons that could be interpreted as misguided and then did some terrible things and then sought redemption later in life. Mm. I'm sure you'd be familiar with that subject. We we do indeed. Very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> the grin on Victoria's face right now. It's like, yeah, I think I see what you're going. Yeah. I, it's an interesting thing. Like, I think the big difference is, is that she was taken. Mm-hmm. But I definitely understand that, like, there's something about finding a community, feeling like you're part of something, regardless of whether it's something you thought you'd believe in or not. It's easy to have sympathy for a character like Furiosa, like Snape, like someone who like bought into this ideology that ultimately proved not to be beneficial for themselves or the people around them. And uh, that sort of fight for redemption is something that I don't think is ever really over. I hear Furiosa say redemption, and it makes me think that there was a certain point in her life where she started to buy into the idea of being an imperator, of being part of this force, mm. of doing things for the Immortan because she saw the possibility for moving up, the idea of advancing in power and allowances, and she did things that she's not necessarily proud of right now. Yeah. At the time, I'm sure it worked for her that she saw the things that she was doing in Joe's name as something worthy of glory because that's just how they run things at the Citadel. And then I am willing to believe that meeting the wives is what turned her around. Mm. Seeing how the other women who are part of the society are treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe you guys have touched on this already, but like, why is Furiosa's position different? Why is she not just one of the wives and instead Mm. she's... The driver of the war rig. Now, we've discussed in the past that if you are a healthy individual that's not riddled with cancers and things like that, that pretty much guarantees you an advanced imperator position inside of Joe's organization. But Gary, you raise a good point. Furiosa is also a woman and she's not conventionally unattractive. Yeah. (laughs) You would think that Joe would find her, scoop her up and throw her right into the harem. But from what I've read of the background information in the comics is that Furiosa was not fit for that life. Interesting. She did not possess the qualities that would make her a good breeder. I think just with how like what we know about Furiosa or how she's portrayed on the screen, like I feel like. Her, I don't want to call this a, I mean, I, from Joe's perspective, I guess it's a betrayal, but like, I feel like if she had been put in the position of these wives, I think that this turn would have happened a lot sooner. Mm. And maybe that's again, like going back to the reason why she's saying she's looking for redemption. Like she had this position of power that the other women of this society don't have the opportunity to kind of grow for. I don't know. She just seems like the kind of spirit that like if someone... If someone tried to put her in a position of of servitude, she wouldn't stand for it. Mm. I think that some people like that, the type of people who won't stand for things, they're born that way. That's their personality. And then other people, they have to grow into that position. I feel like she probably grew into it. Mm. Then maybe once upon a time, she was go with the flow. And okay, if you want me to drive this rig back and forth, I will do that. 
And maybe over time, she saw enough injustice and experienced enough injustice that she became the sort of person who wanted to and was able to stand up and say no. And this is her ultimate stand up and say no. She finally found herself in a position where she could like take meaningful action. Exactly. She had the war rig. She had opportunity. She had the timing. Yeah. And when she was given the opportunity to take that shot, she took it. And here we are as a result of that. Good for her. <laughs> and I like how Max doesn't pry. He doesn't need to know every element of her backstory. Yeah. She says redemption and Max is like, okay. He doesn't say it. He just kind of nods and goes back to looking out the window. But that's all <laughs> he, he needs it. to hear. Yeah. He understands the hardship of living out here. Mm -hmm. And she's not the type to say more. Her pauses are very loaded. She is thinking about how to respond to his question. What about you? Why are you out here? And I'm sure that many of the things that we've been discussing over the last few minutes ran through her head and she's been reviewing, why am I out here? And she came upon this decision to say redemption, but she doesn't say that out loud. That's all for herself. So her and Max, there's a bit of kindred spirit going on. Yeah. Yeah. Both of few words and they, they like it that way. Going off of the idea of kindred spirits, we cut into the backseat of the war rig and Nux is sitting there. I like how he is taking up the position sitting next to the door that was torn away. He is the human shield to keep people from falling out because he's got his leg propped up against the doorframe. But we really only see Nux leaning back in the seat and then Capable is leaned up against him and he's got his arm out. So she's nestled right up against him. Which once again, it struck me that this is probably the first time that he's ever been snuggled like this. And these are... The things that we have seen between him and Capable, those are just the nice things about relationships. Mm. A kiss on the cheek, a snuggle up against him, taking a nap. Like, those are just the really nice things about having a partner. And he's never had those before. So it makes my heart a little warm for him. He's realizing his life doesn't have to be just what it was as one of the war boys. Yeah, there's more to life than V8 engines and speed and explosions. <laughs> Valhalla. There are softer things. Yeah. And speaking of softer things, he looks down at Capable's shoulder and there's a bug crawling on her. So he puts down his fingers and he lifts the bug off of her because I'm sure that's the last thing you want to see crawling up your arm when you're taking a nap. And so he lifts mm. it off and he sits there and he's examining this little bug crawling around his finger. And I think it's an interesting metaphor, the idea that there's this tiny insignificant creature. It's involved in a situation that's so much larger <laughs> than itself. And I'm sure Nux is just sitting watching this thing crawling around and contemplating the importance of his life and the scale of things. Oh, wait, nope, he ate it. Never he mind. eats it. He eats it. Yep. <laughs> he ate it. He ate it. I was just watching the minute now and I'm looking at him watching it and he just throws it in mouth and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he ate it. Like it's nothing. Just um, Yep. Protein. That yeah, is a chicken nugget <laughs> with legs. <laughs> so gross. I love watching that moment in hindsight, knowing that he's going to eat the bug. That he didn't pull it off of her shoulder because, ew, who wants a bug crawling on them? He pulled it off of her shoulder so that he could eat it. Yeah. Oh, food. Like, she's not going to eat it. She's taking a nap. <laughs> Why let it go to waste? It's Mark. fair game. Like, are you, are you going to eat this? <laughs> you eat that? <laughs> no? Do you, do you mind? 
Oh, um, not like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Just plucked it off. Of just <laughs> gross. Yeah, Julie, have you ever eaten a bug? Not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a whole thing about spiders crawling in your mouth. Yeah, true. As you sleep, that whole thing, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I've never eaten a bug on purpose. Yeah, I think I've accidentally eaten a moth that had crawled into a Fritos bag. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was not. No, anything ew. that I would repeat of the bugs you could eat a moth that's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it doesn't <laughs> have a good texture to it. Thank you. Does not have a good mouth feel, and it probably isn't all that nutritious. So I looked up some information about eating bugs. <laughs> okay. From Medical News Today, and they have this little article, and it talks about how the practice of eating bugs is known as entomophagy. Okay. Back in 2013, the Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, of the United Nations found that around 2 billion people worldwide eat insects as part of a traditional diet. Beetles are the most common type of insect that are eaten, followed by caterpillars, bees, wasps, ants, grasshoppers, locusts, and crickets. All in all, more than 1,900 insect species are considered edible. Going on with that report, they talk about how insects are highly nutritional. The majority of them are rich in protein, healthy fats, iron, and calcium. They're low in carbohydrates. In fact, the authors of the FAO report claim that insects are just as, if not more, nutritious than commonly consumed meats such as beef. For example, uh. 100 grams of crooked contains about 121 calories, 12.9 grams of protein, 5.5 grams of fat, and 5.1 grams of carbohydrates, while 100 grams of ground beef, it does contain more protein, about 23.5 grams, but that's only 3 or 4 grams more. But the beef is also higher in fat, it contains about 21.2 grams, whereas the insect ones is only 5.5. That's like four times more fat in beef for only three or four grams more protein. Uh, you're still not going to change my mind. <laughs> so the low fat contact of insects has led some researchers, such as those involved in the FAO report, to suggest that entomophagy may be an effective way to combat obesity and its related diseases. The benefits of entomophagy do not stop at weight loss, however. As the UN says, Eating insects could help combat malnutrition, which is widespread in developing countries, as well as being a good source of healthy fats and protein. Insects are literally everywhere, meaning they're easily accessible, cheap source of food. It's a fact that could really benefit low and middle income countries where malnutrition is common. The trick to entomophagy is making it palatable. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think it would end up tasting very good i've eaten bugs <laughs> on, on purpose like what i know that sounds ridiculous oh uh, no when i was like in sixth grade camp it was like a thing where they <laughs> just they had different types of like foods and candies that had real bugs in it okay and uh one of the things that i remember having was like it was like a small packet uh probably like the size of like a, a fun dip packet you remember okay. fun dip? yeah and it had um like dried larvae that mm. had been coated in like almost like a cheeto powder okay and i remember having that i ate i think that. i had chocolate covered ants once i remember that being a thing i may have had that 
I've also seen like those hard candies that have yeah, like, they have a bug inside bugs it. inside them. Like, uh, I feel like that's different because you got to suck on it and then yeah, like, and then all you of a sudden you have a the- bug in your mouth. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> you might as well just pop the bug in your mouth at that point. Yeah, all right, crunch. I mean, they talk about tequila having that worm at the bottom. To that's eat it. true. Yeah, I could get behind like a black bean burger. Yeah, that's black beans and like crickets or mm. beetles or something. I don't know. Like all mixed together in like a patty. I think I could get behind that. I guess if it was all ground together and I didn't know. You don't want to know ahead of time. Well, <laughs> I think that there's a difference between like, oh, this this patty was made from ground up crickets versus like, here's a hard candy with a cricket in it. Right. Like, <laughs> For some reason, it would always be a bigger bug, like a scorpion or yeah. something crazy. Like, what the hell? What was it to do with that? I think my favorite instance of entomophagy in film would be the movie Snowpiercer. Okay. Because the folks that live in the back of the train, the guards come in and they distribute these little protein cubes. And they're sort of a, not gelatinous brick, it's more of a hard maybe a bit more chewable but it has all of the nutrition that you need to stay alive and they don't exactly know where these protein bricks come from they just know that they show up every so often and then once a year they get an egg like a chicken's egg sort of thing yeah and so when the revolt in the movie happens and captain america is leading all of these people forward in the train they eventually come on to the car that is processing and making these protein cubes. And it's revealed that the cubes are made out of roaches. The roaches go into a big grinder. They're processed and output as these little bricks of protein. And they've been just eating these protein bricks for months and years and all of this time. Mm, No, thank you. I mean, I'm pretty okay with it. I would need my bugs to be prepared. (laughs) Right. You know, the same way that I'm not just going to pop a piece of chicken in my mouth. I'm going to, you know, cook it for one Hmm. and I'm going to season it and I'm going to put it with some vegetables and, you know, I'm going to make it a nice meal. So (laughs) if bugs were part of our everyday diets, we would cook with them. Yeah, I think people hear the idea of eating bugs and they think of that one scene from Lion King where Timon and Pumbaa are convincing Simba to eat bugs. Yeah, that's not a great scene. No, no, Slimy, yet satisfying. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. It could be worse. It could be Soylent Green. Exactly. (laughs) Given the option between eating bugs and eating people, I'll gladly eat bugs. The trick is, like Julia's been getting at, you've got to prepare it the right way. You look at those behind-the-scenes videos on how they make chicken nuggets for mcdonald's and it comes out as pink paste because the chicken has been tossed into a machine and processed in such a way that it comes out as this easily cookie cuttered material and you could take bugs and put it through that same sort of manufacturing you wouldn't even know coat it season it drop it in a fryer for 20 seconds i will eat that stuff with sweet and sour sauce (laughs) you know how i use cauliflower rice a lot to like fluff up dishes and you don't even know that it's in there Hmm. same thing you just throw some crickets and beetles into the chicken mcnugget goo you never know and it would volumize it and make it more nutritious 
and no one would ever know the difference. Would you like to know one of the most comforting things that I read in that article from Medical News Today? Sure. (laughs) You may already be eating bugs on a regular basis. That doesn't Not because they crawl into your mouth, but because... The Defect Levels Handbook from the U.S. Food and Drug Association shows that when it comes to food products, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of bug. The organization states that it is acceptable for 100 grams of chocolate to contain up to 60 insect fragments within six 100 gram samples, while peanut butter can contain up to 30 insect fragments per 100 grams. Wow. See, I think they should be doing it on purpose because it's happening anyways. (laughs) All right. I feel like with peanut butter, that'd be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And this is all based on our own traditions. Like Rick said at the beginning of the article, how many billions of people in the world? Two billion. Two billion people in the world eat bugs on a daily basis on purpose. It's all based on culture and tradition. Yeah. And because it's not part of our culture and tradition, it's unpalatable to us. But Mm -hmm. if we change that, then we're fine. That makes sense. It's we can we can watch this minute and gross out when he eats this bug, but it doesn't bother him. This is just a snack. Yeah. Yeah. So the wives are all asleep right now, but if they were awake, how do you think they would react? Do you think what I'm really asking is do you think the wives eat bugs? <laughs> I think everybody eats bugs. Yeah, I think that's just <laughs> at this point. Do what you gotta do. Right? Like they understand that that has pro that has food and protein and and Stuff is, uh... Circumstances are done. Right? Exactly. Like, what are you gonna do? (laughs) I would like to believe that the wives are vegetarians. That they eat the produce produced by Mm. the Citadel. Mmm. And only the produce grown by the Citadel. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I like both of your answers because I think their culture is a bug-eating culture. Because food is food. Yeah. But I also like the idea that they're vegetarians. Do bugs count as animals? Oh, with a vegetarian lifestyle. I do not know. Because I know for some bizarre reason that I still can't figure out, fish don't count. No, to me, fish should count. They're alive. Yeah, fish are alive. They have a face. But there are some vegetarians who will eat fish. I'm just like, no, then you're not a vegetarian. That's still meat of that it's is meat. flesh. Right. It has bones and organs and, you know, and blood pumping through it. Like, well, who yeah. are you to determine whether a fish doesn't have a soul, but like <laughs> cows and pigs do? Like, that's that's kind of uh, unfair to assume. I agree. That. So I did a quick Googling. <laughs> Food52.com answers the question, are bugs vegetarian? And the simple answer is no. Okay. All right. Okay. Because they have a face. Because they're alive. And they can feel pain. Yes, they can. Yeah. Okay. All right. No eating bugs. Would you please ask the question, are fish vegetarian? It seems like a straightforward answer to me, but... I think that's a much more complicated... It shouldn't be, but I think it is. According to OceanLeadership.org, a vegetarian does not eat any meat, poultry, game, fish, shellfish, or crustacean. Thank you. Okay. Hmm. There's another name for people... That only eat fish, but then don't eat red meat. That's pescatarian. Yeah. So they're, they, you, you tell them that's what they are. They're not a vegetarian. You're not a vegetarian. You're pescatarian. You're a pescatarian. Well, that's the thing is, like, when I grew up, I grew up in a very Catholic house. And so during Lent, you're supposed to, like, not eat any meat on Fridays. Yeah. But then we'd still have, like, fish dishes or shrimp or whatever. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I think that's where fish? I got that idea that some vegetarians eat fish. Yeah. Is from 
Lent and Fish Fridays. Those yeah. darn Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But getting off of the subject of eating bugs, we come to the end of this minute with the war rig coming to stop at a top of a dune and Furiosa pops out the top and she's scanning the horizon. She's looking for the next landmark because they've been just driving through dunes for ugh, goodness knows how long. And as she's looking around, Toast, who has woken up from her nap, sees something in the distance and just says, hey, and the minute cuts off. <laughs> so I don't know if it's Toast calling attention to something or if there is a farm nearby that has giant piles of hay. Hey. I guess we'll just have to come back on Friday and find out. <laughs> so come back on Friday when Toast will see a tower, Max will make a meme, and Furiosa will face her past. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 77 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>